and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Tuesday, June the 27th, 2023. Seems as if we live in what some people think of as the age of insurrection, but it's not the 19th or even 20th century versions of insurrection. It's a racialized insurrection. We've done a number of shows on it. One last week with Garrett Neiman on um, uh, on what he calls the rich white men who drive uh, our age of insurrection, of reactionary politics. And we just did a show uh, on love and hate with Wesley Lowry, who is a Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist. Uh, he has a new book out, American White Lash, A Changing Nation and the Cost of Progress. Uh, Wesley talked to me about the insurrectionary nature of racialized violence in the America of the early 21st century. So it's almost logical that we should move on to our guest today, an hour after Larry, or logical next chapter. David uh, Nywert uh, has a new book out. He's an expert on um, uh, the insurrectionary right. He has a new book out, The Age of Insurrection, The Radical Rights Assault on American Democracy. Uh, David is joining us from Friday Harbor. Sounds very nice up there. He says it's the furthest northwest you can get before you get to Canada. Uh, David, this new book, The Age of Insurrection, The Ongoing War on American Democracy, is this a, a racialized war? Is this a white reactionary war against multicultural American? Well, I, I think that that's its uh, primary aspect. I mean, uh, the insurrectionist army, as I call them, is predominantly white, uh, but not entirely. Uh, you may recall that uh, we had a mass shooting a couple, a few weeks ago in Allen, Texas, that uh, uh, conducted by a Hispanic man who nonetheless had Nazi tattoos and was acting on neo-fascist ideology. Um, and one of the th aspects of this that I try to explain to people is that I did have seen over the years, particularly in these in attending uh, and covering Proud Boys rallies and these kinds of events, um, smatterings of people of color. And actually, I do make a point of talking to these people and trying to understand their motives. And the main takeaway that I've gotten from that is that... Um, even people of color are attracted to these movements because uh, they're less concerned with um, white supremacy as a tribal issue and are attracted by the innate authoritarianism. In fact, that's kind of, I, I would say that that is the, the what really undergirds uh, all of this insurrectionary politics is a profound authoritarianism uh, built on white supremacy, but people need to understand that white supremacy isn't a, isn't a, just a tribal thing. It's not just a matter of uh, well, uh, only whites support white supremacy and and blacks only support their tribal aspect. That's not actually how it works. Uh, white supremacy is an authoritarian uh, program uh, that is, is an authoritarian structure. 
and um, people are attracted to it, not so much for the tribalist, tribal aspects of it, but the authoritarian. And so... Um, so when you yeah, use this word authoritarian, uh, the subtitle of your book is The Ongoing War on American Democracy. Mm -hmm. In our age of insurrection, is the very definition of the movements that you cover are they against the very idea of democracy because of what you call their authoritarian ideology? Perhaps you might define what you mean by that word. Yeah, uh, well, authoritarianism is frequently understood sort of as you know, a top-down uh, phenomenon where we focus on authoritarian leaders who um, people uh, you know, tend to follow in, in mass. Um, and the our understanding of it is somewhat warped because the leaders are actually only half the the story the other half the story is the mass of authoritarian personalities who support them um that authoritarian personalities actually are different than uh the personalities of the authoritarian leaders authoritarian followers are what we call you know they have authoritarian personalities that are um, built around basically three behavioral clusters. Uh, the first is uh, authoritarian submission. That's submission to the gr great and glorious leader and his instincts. Um, then there's authoritarian aggression, which is directed against anyone who fails to submit to the glorious leader and his edicts. And then the third is a conventionalism, which is, this belief that they represent the real America, that they're, that they actually are, uh, you know, embody the general public. And those three clusters produce a whole variety of traits, including, um, you know, very easy accommodation of bigotry, if not actual participation in it, uh, a tendency towards, um, disinformation and conspiracism, as well as a, uh, a really overblown sense of how popular they really are. Dave, um, this notion of the authoritarian personality, I think, was one that was developed in the middle of the 20th century by yeah. Adorno and the Frankfurt School. Um, much yeah. has been written on whether or not uh, the 2020s are similar in some ways to the 1930s and the rise of fascism. In your analysis, in your observations of the authoritarian personalities who are driving this age of insurrection, um, are, are these types of people in these political movements rather similar to the fascist movements of the 1930s and 40s? They're the same. They're, they're almost uh, they're beyond similar. It's functionally the same kind of personalities. I mean, it's pretty interesting to go back and read books by, or, you know, books about what was actually happening in Germany and Italy at the time. Uh, one of my favorites is a book by Milton Meyer named They Thought They Were Free, which was all about how ordinary Germans simply participated in the growing tide of Nazism and ultimately participated in the Holocaust. Um, and how that was possible, how that happened. Um, and essentially, it, was, it came down to the fact that, that it's all incremental. 
you know, they just do it a little step by a little step, little step by little step. And each time those little steps happen, um, we concede and we exceed um, to those initiatives until eventually we find ourselves underwater. And uh, that's certainly what has also happened to us here. Uh, many people will know, David, that um, this wasn't just a, a feature of, of, of right-wing politics in the 20th century, but also left-wing politics, the cult of the leader, authoritarianism. You found it as much on the left. Some people believe that the ongoing war on American democracy in the 2020s in America is also a war of the left uh, around woke politics. Do you believe that in, in your analysis, the age of insurrection? Is there as much a crisis on the right as there is on the left? No. Well, if you mean, if you think cancel culture is similar to fascism, I have uh, <laughs> a story for you. I mean, ultimately, yeah, no, the, the idea that wokeism is a sort of authoritarian state is uh, nonsense. For one thing, it's, uh, it's not actually uh, part of legislation. It, it doesn't coerce people. There's no coercion involved. Um and uh, ultimately, it's not predicated around the same sort of um, insecurities and uh, drives that drive fascism. Uh, fascism is built around a, uh, an ethos of violence that celebrates violence. Uh, and it also is built around this idea that, uh, you know, Basically, palingenesis, it's called, they call it palingenesis, but it's this idea of uh, the phoenix-like rebirth from the ashes of the national state. Um, there are a lot of other trends, including a contempt for weakness, um, that uh, all of these have absolutely nothing to do with wokeism. Uh, wokeism, in fact, if anything, is sympathetic to weakness. Um, so, you know, the the comparisons simply don't hold up. Your, your analysis and your work, of course, focuses in some ways on January 6th. You had an interesting piece in Lit Hub uh, this morning with a, a photo of January 6th. How real is this age of insurrection? I, I personally, and I've been involved in debates on this, I'm not convinced. I think it's a sideshow, a lot of uh, froth. How... how fearful should Americans be about American democracy? Is this a real war? Well, no, it's not a real war, but they have declared, they, in their minds, they are at war. When you say okay. they, who are you talking about? I'm talking about, you know, Trumpists, uh, MAGA folks. Uh, well, their the, war against American democracy the, 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 the Patriot types, yeah. Well, <laughs> if you talk to any of these patriots and you mention democracy, they'll tell you. Uh, we're, we're, this isn't a democracy, it's a republic, right? Which is so just, they're against democracy. So you're saying what 30 or 40 percent of Americans are against democracy? Yeah, well, I would say that they prefer an autocratic authoritarian state to uh, the uh, to the yeah, so what they consider the sort of weak need uh, policies of a democratic liberal democracy. Wow, so that's. I mean, troubling, at least from the point of view of liberal democracy. I mean, what happens, Dave, if uh, if if Trump's select reelected, which he seems reasonably good chance of him being reelected, 
can he just shut the whole show down and say, well, the people have decided they don't want democracy in America? Well, I, I have little doubt that if Trump wins re-election, he will find a way to um, uh, ensure that he doesn't have to face election again. Uh, you know, that's probably going to be one, one of his first initiatives. Um, he's already made it pretty clear that uh, he doesn't have any respect for uh, counting the ballots for, you know, the functionings of democracy, as well as, uh, you know, I think the deliberative aspects of uh, the, the Congress and the Supreme Court. I can't speak on behalf of a Trump voter. Personally, I don't vote in America, but if I could, I wouldn't vote for him. But I'm guessing if we had the typical Trump voter, and I'm not sure if there's such a thing, they would say, we're in favor of American democracy. We've got nothing against it. We're in favor of voting. How would you respond to that? Well, I'd ask them, why are they uh, working so hard to uh, restrict the ability of the public to vote? Why are they working so hard to stop students from voting and, and minorities from voting? Uh, why are they so eager to um, uh, back up this, this gerrymandered Congress that we have? And uh, why do they support these, these authoritarian steps such as, you know, like DeSantis's attacks on critical race theory, and we're finding it in Texas and elsewhere, too which are, you know, purely unconstitutional attacks on, on free speech. But DeSantis um, is in New Hampshire right now, and there's a civil yeah. war, I guess, on the right within the Republican Party. DeSantis, and, and I talked to a Florida-based novelist, actually, at the weekend, uh, DeSantis is very popular in Florida there. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, people love it. I mean, that that's the thing, is that once you get sucked into, you know, the authoritarian style of governing, uh, the, the, the autocracy of it all, uh, you, you think of it as being superior. I mean, that's, that's what has happened. Why, why is, I, I, I don't, I mean, DeSantis is democratically elected. He's popular in, 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 in Florida. You may not like what he's doing, but why is he involved in an ongoing war on American democracy? Well, because he is part of the, he's, he definitely is part of this authoritarian trend. Uh, I mean, not just CRT, but also LGBTQ people. Uh, his, his measures to, uh, I mean, look at what he's done to the education system. And but, but, but to what extent, what I don't understand in, in the kind of arguments you make is, you may not like what what DeSantis is doing, but he's popularly elected. He has, as as a governor, every right to pursue policies that you and I might not like. What, what, why does that make him authoritarian? Aren't you using these terms simply to describe people you don't like? No, I mean Hitler was popularly elected. Um, and well, you brought out the age word. Right? He wasn't actually popular, but that's another story. Um, well, once in office, he he uh, immediately began taking measures to uh, reduce and, and eliminate uh, democratic... Uh, Are you comparing DeSantis and Hitler? Well, no, I'm... I'm <laughs> no, I, I, what I am doing is pointing out how authoritarianism works. That, yeah, you can win election as an authoritarian, and then once you're in office, you're 
capable of pulling up. Can you be, you talked about school policy, for example. Again, I'm not sympathetic to banning books in schools or I'm not sympathetic to uh, the abortion, the the anti-abortion issue. But one can be a Democrat, Dave, can't one? Uh, One can be sympathetic to American democracy and want stricter controls on what children read in schools and want stricter controls of whether or not women can get abortions. I mean, those those things are compatible, aren't they? Well, not really. I mean, to to say you want stricter controls is one thing. On the other hand, to ban abortion outright uh, and to make it so that the woman even getting uh, having an ectopic pregnancy uh, can't get proper appropriate medical care is is uh, beyond what you know would normally happen in a in a dem- democratic society. Well, you use that word normal. So are you saying that the Supreme Court itself is involved in an ongoing war on American democracy? I would say that they are uh, they've become part of the uh, autocratic trend. Absolutely. But you again, you use this word autocratic. You, you seem to be using it for just people who pursue policies that you don't like. No, I'm using it to describe people who are using their official power to re- take away the rights of other people. To re- but they would, I mean, I don't want to get involved in the abortion debate, but they would argue that they're acting on the rights of unborn children. And I mean, these are legitimate debates, aren't they? <laughs> you know, there's there's never been any uh, ruling that has found that unborn people actually have rights. Um, so, uh, yeah, no, I mean, these aren't really legitimate arguments. What they actually want to do is control the ability of women to reproduce. How global is this age of insurrection? Your book focuses on the ongoing war on American democracy. Of course, we've done many shows on Poland and Hungary and Turkey and the Philippines and Russia and China. How unique is the ongoing, at least in your mind, the age of insurrection in America from the rest of the world? Well, um, we're more advanced uh, in going down this road uh, towards autocracy than places like Australia um, or New Zealand. Um but there definitely are trends, particularly in Europe, that are pointing this way. Everything from, you know, the alternative for Deutschland uh, reaching 20% in the, the recent uh, parliamentary uh, elections in Germany to Italy having a uh, neo-fascist prime minister uh, to... Sweden. But again, a, a popularly elected one and one who whose relationship with Mussolini and fascism is, is complicated and it's not entirely clear where she stands. Yeah. Who's actually rather popular in Italy, and some people see her as the future of, 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 of populism and conservatism in Europe. Well, yeah. I mean, let's, let's be clear. Um, fascism has always been right-wing populism gone metastatic. You know, uh, that, that's what it was from, has been from the 20s. I mean, they, they hide behind, you know, they, they say that we, they have popular support and then they do have a certain amount of popular so Are you saying that a conservative can't be, if, if a conservative is a 
populist, then they're against democracy. No, uh, conservatives, <laughs> if a conservative is happy to take away the rights of others, then I would say they are. Uh, but if they believe uh, in a fully pluralistic democratic society, as conservatives typically have been, uh, then then they're not. Are the majority of uh, individuals within the ruling Republican Party, particularly in Congress and in Senate, are they, in your view, are they involved in this age of insurrection? Are they uh, on the front lines of the war on American democracy? You know, the people who are actually on the front lines of the war against demo uh, American democracy are Proud Boys, uh, Patriot Militiamen, Oath Keepers, uh, white nationalists, uh, conspiracy theorists, and ultimately the uh, people who support them within the, the realms of, uh, you know, mainstream politics, uh, particularly within the Republican Party. But how far does that extend? I mean, um, we've talked about the weaponization of of, of youth culture. Uh, there's headlines today that Greg Gutfield now has his own show on Fox. Is this powerful? I mean, you talk about the Proud Boys. My reading, at least of January 6th, is these people were mostly just clowns, you know, middle-aged, rather overweight men behaving like idiots. Mm -hmm. um, Did you read the book? Uh, what what do you say that should scare us in Age of Insurrection about the Proud Boys and, and their fellow insurrectionists? Well, you need to, I mean, the thing about the Proud Boys is that they, um, they exist for primarily the same reason that the brown shirts existed for the Nazis, which is to bring street violence to the American pol political realm. And they've been doing that for they had been doing that for four years prior to January 6th. Um, I covered about uh, two dozen of these events and uh, they were ugly. They were brutal. Uh, it was, uh, you know, it, and, and the, the thing about it was, of course, is that they were using these events as pretexts for not only creating violence and, in, and intimidation against their political enemies, but also to create a, a narrative uh, that was all about how Antifa was uh, and, the, and the violent left were actually the real existential threat to America. Brown shirts, of course, mostly were recruited from ex-World War One veterans in the German army. Where are the Pride Boys being recruited for? Who, who, from from your research, who are these people? A lot of them are just ordinary guys who live, you know, live within the communities where they're being recruited. Um, you know, they're uh, they do everything from you know work as welders and auto mechanics and construction guys to um, uh, being people who. Uh, who actually are like professional uh, provocateurs that travel the country and show up at all these events. What's driving them, though? I mean, you say they're ordinary people. Um, animus towards the left, animus, to, animus towards democracy. Uh, they, they really hate any kind of... Um, well, they call it wokeism, you know. Uh, how extensive... I, I, there's always been this underclass, this angry underclass. How extensive... 
is it? Why should we be concerned with a few crazy guys in the Northwest, the guys you cover? Well, first of all, it's, it's not just in the Northwest. I mean, what we've experienced in the Northwest is certainly uh, symptomatic of uh, what's happened elsewhere in the country. And of course, uh, several of the events that I covered were in the Bay Area. I mean, one of the, the very first Proud Boy event that I covered, April 15th, 2017, was in Berkeley. Um, and since then, they've had events all around the country. Well, they may have events. I, I've lived in Berkeley many years. I never bumped into a Proud Boy. I never saw any. That's uh, right, because they come from outside the. Don't scare me. You're not scaring me. You can always find these kinds of people. They're always odd. They're always online. Maybe the internet's helped them, social media's helped them, or the anonymity, the cult of violence online. But why should we worry about them, really? Well, so I, I have been covering these groups since the 1990s. Uh, and actually before then, uh, I had to deal with the Aryan nations uh, early in my newspapering career in northern Idaho. Um, and yeah, no, they, I mean, for the most part, I considered them largely a fringe uh, phenomenon for, you know, at least through 2009 and 10. Um, we saw them move into the mainstream through the Tea Party uh, beginning about that time. Uh, but prior to that, they were, it was almost entirely a fringe phenomenon. And the warning that I put up then was simply that, look, a lot of these, a lot of what um, the radical right uh, complains about, um, there are, there's legitimacy to some of these uh, complaints. Uh, it's just their solutions that are, that are problematic, you know, particularly in rural areas, uh, which is where I saw uh, the Patriot militia movement really gain. But you're not, uh, but you're not, you can, you, you're you not asking my question about why we should be fearful. You suggested they infiltrated the Republican Party through the Tea Party. Um, they're much larger than they used to be. But no. give me some numbers. Give me some proof. Um, I think you only need to look at the large numbers of people who, for instance, participate in um, uh, the white nationalist organizations like uh, um, America First. Um, and the, the yeah. large, number, large number of the people that we have online. And finally, I, I think you only need to look at the 100,000 100, people or so who showed up on January 6th. What about Trump's role in all this? It's likely that he's going to get, certainly win the nomination, possibly get reelected. Do you see him as an insurrectionist? Isn't that his appeal? Do I see Trump as an insurrectionist? Yeah. Yeah. Why yeah. I think that's pretty obvious. Well, it's, you know, he's still, I don't see Trump out on the street throwing bombs. No, no, he's out there. He, what he does is he sends out a tweet, says, we'll be wild, be there. I mean, that's, that's all he has to do. And and yeah, and then a hundred thousand people turn up to to try to, uh, and you know, a thousand of them try to invade Congress, the Capitol. I mean, that's that's how it works. But again, even January sixth, it wasn't that fearful. Uh, you you, believe, you argued that even before Trump's election, talk of civil war was bubbling up with great frequency amongst far right militiamen. 
they can talk to as much as they want, but who are they going to fight with, and 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 how are they going to fight? I mean, again, there's a cult of violence, but there are a tiny minority of crazies, it seems to me. Uh, the problem is, I mean, yeah, 30 years ago, I would have said they were a tiny minority. Uh, now they are not a tiny minority. There is, I mean, they're substant. They are a minority still, but they are very substantial. They're very large. Very. Yeah. Let me, because because you see, very people. You very America? large. Give me some numbers. Do you spend any time in rural America? Give me some numbers, Dave. You know, it's hard to get numbers because. Well, but the, you can't the, say it's a you know large group, and then you don't give me. Well, numbers. then why are we even having this interview? Well, I, I, but I, all I want are numbers on 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 why I should be scared. You know, uh, did you read the book? I did look through it. Yeah, so you didn't actually read it. Well, tell me. Educate look, me. it's not a matter of numbers. It's a matter of the mass size of this movement. If you go out to rural America, you'll find that these... Well, rural people, America is a big place, David. Yeah, it is. It is. It's a huge place. And there's, there's lots of places you can go. And you'll find this true, that if you go out to these rural places, um, that you will... Um, that you'll find that people there believe have absorbed all of these uh, cockamamie beliefs, including this idea that that the sheriff is the supreme law of the county, that the federal, federal government shouldn't own federal public land, that the only role of the federal government is to put up an army and that they should have no role in education or uh, anything else that were, you know, and particularly civil rights. Right. And that's where a lot of the, these ideas originated from was in the 1960s and 70s. Groups like the Posse Comitatus came up with these uh, systems where, that argued for this sort of radical localism where the federal government had no power and particularly had no power to enforce civil rights law. So the real danger of this ongoing war on American democracy is what? To unravel civil rights legislation? To reimpose what? The I would say that's one of their chief goals, yeah. Uh, but it's not the, the only goal. I mean, they, they have a whole broad range of, of things that they're trying to, to attack. And they're all basically outgrowths of uh, liberal democratic society. We, we've done a number of shows on what you call rural America. Some, some authors, as a sociologist from university, uh, from USC, who argues actually the reverse, that when she went into what you call rural America, she found quite patriotic and tolerant and open-minded Americans. Can we make, can we really make generalizations about rural America? Yeah, I think it's possible to, uh, especially, you know, if you're from there. But I, I mean, you're based in the Northwest. I, I mean, can one make generalizations, for example, about rural America in the Northwest versus the Midwest versus the South? Yeah, yeah, you can. There, there are some things that are common across all of them. But yeah, rural life is very different in the in the Northwest or in Idaho or Montana than it is in the South. Uh, but fundamentally, you, what you do find is that that there is this, uh, particularly now, there's really this shared belief system that's built around conspiracism, disinformation, and cockamamie uh, theories about 
the, the Constitution. So what are we going to do, Dave? If, if you're right, as I said, I'm rather skeptical, but what do I know? Um, what, what are we going to do? Do you want to put these people in jail? Do you want to re-educate them? No, no, I think it's, uh, you know, obviously it's not, that's not feasible. I think the people who commit crimes uh, should be put in jail, absolutely. And I think that part of the problem is that some of these people have been committing crimes for a long time and getting away with it. Um, and that we've been part of the problem is that we have a law enforcement um, uh, structure that tends to look the other way when they commit crimes. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, ultimately, what are we going to do about the fact that we have a Republican Party that doesn't even would even concede to the reality that the that the president that Trump lost the 2020 election. I mean, they still argue that Trump won. You know, um, what do you, what are you going to do with people who don't accept the? Well, I'm 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 asking you that. What are you going to do with 30 or 40 percent of Americans who you believe at least are in this ongoing war on American democracy? Yeah, I think it's I think it's a real dilemma. I think. Uh, the, the most powerful thing we can do is to fight to defend democracy, to drive them out of power uh, by using democratic means, vote them out of power, uh, try to relegate them to the fringes where they belong and uh, make it, you know, make their ideas and their agendas uh, unacceptable to the broad mass of American, uh, American voters. Um, and yeah, this is also a social problem. I mean, this is something that happens to people when they go to their Thanksgiving dinners and have problems with the family members who, uh, you know, tell call them communists because they they believe that Biden won. You know, I mean, this is the kind of stuff that's been going on probably for the last 10, 12 years. And you know, how do you how do you bridge that gap? Well, it's it's really hard. Um, I did write a book about conspiracism and conspiracy theories and ba that basically found that pulling people out of conspiracist rabbit holes is really a, a hard and, and long process that involves a lot of care and has to be done carefully and it's fraught. Um, but I think that ultimately, you know, I mean, obviously one of the things that has to happen is that uh, redemption, where there has to be a path to redemption to where people rejoin us in democratic society. But right now we have a substantial portion of the country that actually believes, does not believe in uh, liberal democracy, that does not believe in uh, pluralistic society uh, and is actually promoting um, what I would call an autocratic system. And, you know, the best we can do, uh, you know, all, all we can really do to fight back is disempower them as much as possible. Um, and then, you know, try to find ways to bring them back into the fold, make them understand that. Yeah, uh, I mean, Peter Thiel argues that democracy is incompatible with freedom. Right. And but because he, he and he's a guy who's out there busily uh, financing politicians and initiatives that undermine democracy. And at some point, you know, we need to recognize that, you know, this is, uh, these are really toxic influences. 
But uh, do I want to see Peter Thiel put in prison? No, I, I think uh, what I want to do is try to persuade every, anybody who comes across his ideas that the, what Peter Thiel would do is kill the golden goose. I mean, he's made his, made his millions by feeding off of a democratic society. And yet he wants to run that society into the ground and replace it with an autocracy. Yeah, although people might respond, well, Reid Hoffman did the same thing, and he's certainly on the left. So I'm not sure if you if it's you can really argue that people can make money in, in social media or in digital and necessarily be against democracy. Let's end, uh, Dave, on the question of whether or not you're pessimistic or optimistic. I ended that with uh, my interview with uh, with with Larry earlier today. His book. Um, uh, American White Lash, A Changing Nation and the Cost of Progress is interesting, certainly in the context of your new book, The Age of Insurrection. Are you, do you remain an optimist about the American enterprise of democracy? Um, yeah, sure, of course. I mean, that's that's why I wrote the book, uh, you know, mostly to awaken Mer- Americans to the reality that their democracy is under fire. It is being attacked. Uh, there is a concerted effort to tear it down and replace it. Um, and, uh, but I, but obviously I wouldn't be making that appeal if I didn't think that the vast majority of people out there uh, agree with me that, you know, democracy is, is the primary guarantee guarantor of our freedom and our liberty and that the people who are trying to tear it down are actually uh, looking to replace, you know, looking to change uh, the United States into another Russia, uh, who are run by uh, plutocratic kleptocrats, really. Um, and, uh, you know, that's, uh, you know, I, I do, th- let's put it this way I don't think that there's any likelihood that these, guys will ever succeed uh i do think that uh that i actually think they're incapable of succeeding because i don't think that they knowing the radical right as i do i would say that they're uh, utterly incapable of uh accurately assessing the strength of their opposition um and you know i i I don't think that you know, in the long run, that this is a, a campaign that's going to win. But I do think that in the process, particularly among the people out there who are who I observe online uh, arguing for civil war, or the guy who stood up and told Char- asked Charlie Kirk, uh, "When do we get to use the guns? How long do we have to wait before we start shooting these people?" I think those kind of guys are going to be a real problem especially because a lot of them have, you know, AR-15s and, and loads of ammunition in their basement. Um, and I do think that uh, they're going to be capable of causing a great deal of harm, hurting a large number of people before this is all over with, before we actually wake up and realize that, that this threat is real. 